0: I see you. Yeah, you. Flipping through all the podcasts, looking for something different. Tired of those with all the catchy phrases? Or one-size-fits-all quick-fix schemes that never seem to fit? My name is Anthony Hart, and if you are like me, you want more than a moment. We are looking for a movement of groundbreakers and world-changers who are tired of the status quo. Willing to throw it all up to see what sticks. Willing to ask a question before pointing a finger. This is your invitation into a collection of thoughtful ponderings posed to make you think, one-on-one conversations that challenge you with fresh perspective, and roundtable discussions where sparks fly as iron sharpens iron. Intrigued? Pull up a seat. We've been waiting for you. But don't get comfortable. You might be up next. In the Red is now in session. Let's go. We're going to get into the sermon today. Uh... It being Father's Day, it's funny how God orchestrates things and lines them up as He just, y'all know me, I, I kind of get in a motion or direction of a sermon series. God kind of have me in a, a mindset or a place. Uh, and when we go in, we don't know when we're coming out. We just trust God. We're not a four-week sermon series kind of church. We just believe we're going to dwell on it. And sometimes maybe I dwell a little long, but I believe we get something out of it. Amen? There's moments when I say, man, you just got to give it to me because otherwise I'm like... Maybe I don't, I'm overthinking. No, I'm kidding. Um, But he's really had me in this process over the last couple of of months preparing, preparing for this, coming out of the last sermon series, talking about kingdom, is altered living. Because every one of us go through a transformation, or at least we should when we meet Jesus. Something in us has to change. You cannot be who you were before you met Jesus. It's just not possible. If you really met the Jesus that I met, go look at everybody he met in the Bible. And he was walking this earth and watched. Those who really were impacted by him, a change occurred instantly for some, whether it be in their body and healing, whether it be in mindsets, whether it be in their impact, whether it be in undoing what they did. Zacchaeus is a perfect example. He was a tax collector who was stealing his own people's money, giving it to the Romans. Jesus says, hey, I'm going to go home and have dinner with you. Like, what? Why would you have dinner with that guy? All those other people that they're watching, like, why him? Why not me? Jesus, I've been at every one of your sermons. I tithe. I'm a good guy. Look, I even wore my best robe today for you because I knew I was going to be front row. I got here early. Jesus, look at me. And he's like, no, you in the back, Zacchaeus, that walked into worship late, climbed the tree so you could see, to see if I'm really who I, I say I am, the unbeliever. The one that's got your pockets full with all these guys' money and you won't even put it in the offering plate. I want to go home with you. Okay. Crap. Zacchaeus is like, if he had had a cell phone, he, I'm only assuming he'd be like, hey, Betty. Yeah, Jesus is coming. I, I don't know. He's, he asked if he could come with me. I just said yes. I know. I know. I'm only two miles from the house and now you're going to have to clean all the toilets. Get the rooms ready. All I know, I know. We don't have anything to cook. Could you make something real? Lasagna. Jesus, I hear, loves lasagna. This is all not real, but it's how we would respond and react if we were in that case, wouldn't it? Men? I'd be that way. Oh, my gosh. Jesus, you sure today? We could go tomorrow. No, today's good. Okay, Morgan? Yeah, I made a boo-boo. I'm bringing Jesus home with me. Imagine this if this was our real life, though, the first moment we met Jesus, because that's what it is. That's the moment when we met him and we realized he wants to spend time with us. It's not we meet Jesus in this building, and then we go home and Jesus is just waiting in the building. Man, I can't wait till Michelle comes and hangs out with me next week, next Sunday. It's going to be really good. No, Jesus was exemplifying practically on earth what he did, what he wants to do with us in that moment. And he goes home with Zacchaeus and changes his whole mindset. What? He didn't go home and like beat him up and forth. He goes and breaks bread with him, spends time with him. And in that moment of transformation, Zacchaeus realized, what have I been doing? I've missed the mark. There's a call on me to be a difference maker and I've only been worried about myself. Zacchaeus repents, says his whole household is saved, not just Zacchaeus, his whole household. And then Zacchaeus, in response to transformation, in response to something new, in response to this revelation, not only who Jesus is, but who he has been called to be, he gives not only the money he's taken back, but he gives a double portion. In that moment, he realized, this is even bigger than what I've done. I want to go above and beyond. That's the transformation. That's an altered living. That's the change of trajectory that occurs when we meet this man, Jesus. So over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about that transition, that shift for us. And over the next three weeks, I have three alter moments I want to talk to you about from the Old Testament. Because... The one thing you have to realize, we got to go to the the Museum of the Bible yesterday, and they do an amazing job of connecting you with the Bible. I think, I I didn't really know what the museum had to offer before I went. How many of y'all have been? Anybody? I'd encourage you, if you get to Washington, D.C., it is an interesting, it takes you four or five hours to get through. It's not a two-day experience, but it is really cool. I was expecting a lot of artifacts from biblical times, right? But really what it is, is a connection to the Bible. And they do an amazing job of helping you realize the narrative from start to finish is the same. But doing it in such a way, we got to go in one uh, area where it's in the old, it's talking about the Old Testament and it takes you through this. But then when we went into the New Testament, um, it was like a a movie you set in and watch. How many connections did it have back to the Old Testament, Morgan? Like it was really amazing to connect and have those moments because we' just experienced that. And to understand that Jesus is the linchpin. He's the connector. He is the bridge from Old to New Testament. God didn't change in that time frame. Jesus just came to take this to this. Your New Testament. You are Acts um, chapter. I don't know, we're, we're well on to the Acts now, probably 345 or more than that, right? There's, a, there's, there's not many that many chapters of Acts, but we are the church of Acts. The church of Acts did not stop when the book of Acts ended. We are continuing on. We are the church of the New Testament, so Jesus came to bridge that. So in that ultra living, but I want to connect you back to, over the next couple of weeks to three ultra moments, and it just so worked out today that the one we're going to talk about is truly becoming the heart of the Father. So what I want to preach to you today is the Father's example. Now, looking back on the Old Testament, that's not a word that we use for God a lot of times, is Father. When do we really start using Father for a term to describe God? The moment Jesus comes on the scene, right? Because we hear Jesus praying in that way. We hear Jesus speaking to the Father. We hear him talking about, only do what I see my Father do, only say what I hear my Father say. So it becomes connective to us. And then in the church of Acts and beyond, the letters that Paul sends, he often talks about From a father's perspective, how we are adopted as children, as we are co-heirs with Christ, as we have been brought into the family from where we're at. But if you're an old testament Christian, man, he was, ooh, God was rough back then. From what perspective, that's why I always say you got to start from Jesus and work your way out if you're gonna really understand, because we weren't Jewish. So we had no idea who Jesus was or any of this. We may have heard some stories about him, may have watched Jesus Christ Superstar or um, whatever, however you got access to who Jesus is or maybe you, you heard some very nasty things about Jesus at some uh, rallies or from a group of people that says this is who Jesus is or even, you may have even heard that in the church. That's pretty sad, but it happens. Um, but the moment you understand Jesus, then when you begin to read the Old Testament, you can see the narrative. And I want to take us back to Abraham today. I want to connect you to him as a father because God spoke this over him in covenant. But in order to understand who he had called him to be, you have to understand that your calling comes out of the nature of God. It doesn't. He just doesn't give you a calling that's not aligned with his purpose and who he is, his, his nature. It's not like, I just want you to go be a father, but I'm not a father. I just need you to be a father. You're on earth, you're a human. You have kids, you go be a father. But that's kind of how our perspective has been of God until we get to Jesus, and now we take this back to this Abraham moment. But first, I want to read this scripture to you because I've been reading it over the couple of weeks. Acts 17, through 27. This is Paul in Athens, and... I just want this passage. I want you to begin to read this more and more often because I want this to help you realize the areas of our life that God is still unknown. So 22, it says, "Paul saying in the midst of the Areopagus said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. In other words, What you don't know, let me, through my words, through my life, through my relationship, open your eyes to what is known. God does not desire to be unknown to us. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined... Allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. That they should seek God. That they should seek God. Paul is talking to a group of people who are not seeking God. And inviting them into a place of seeking. You should. I need to develop a desire in you to help you realize what you're missing. I'm going to connect to you through this unknown thing, because evidently, that's a place of need. otherwise you wouldn't just put this random altar out here to in place placeholder of something you don't know. There's still something beyond what you think you know, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. Yet He is actually not far from each of us, each one of us. And I want to encourage you today in that passage, regardless of where you're at, maybe this is your first time, or maybe you've been doing this for a long time, this is a posture we should never lose. We should seek God and perhaps feel our way towards Him, which means when you don't know Him, when you can't see Him, when you don't understand it, it's okay in your blindness to feel for Him. Go ask Saul about that. When he was blind, in his blindness, he found God perhaps feel their way toward him and find him that's the definitive statement if you seek him you will find him yet he is actually not far from each one of us in other words men of athens you have all this stuff and you've put this unknown god and you feel like he's far off as all the other gods that you feel like are out there all these gods you've given all this power to and the ones you feel like you're just a pawn in their little game of Godship, ship, they're so far away sitting on um, Mount Olympus. They have zero desire to be here with you. They're just using you as you see fit. Every tornado that comes through is because Zeus hates me and he wants to wreck my farm. And that brokenness that gods are far off from you, what Paul is saying is he's actually closer than you can imagine. So I'm going to take you back the Old Testament. We're going to Genesis um, 22. I'm going to read this first passage with you, and then we're going to get into the story of Abraham. Um, Very familiar story that most of us know, but I want to connect along the way to some parts today of it that I believe prepare us for this moment that we know so much. If I asked you one thing about Abraham, what would be a defining moment? Many of you would say covenant, the moment he committed to, because you been at this church a long time. You've, I know you've heard me say this statement a lot uh, that Abraham, or God showed up to Abraham and said, I will bless you, bless your name. How do you make a blessed nation? So that you'll be a blessing to all nations, right? That's so ingrained in, in just the season I've been in is understanding we are called to be a blessing. That's the positioning moment. Or uh, if you were raised up in children's church, Every one of us know about Isaac, right? When Abraham, his son, he finally gets him, and God tells him to go sacrifice his son. The one promise he gave him, and now he says, go sacrifice him. This is where I want to start today in this passage, is in Genesis 22, and we're just going to read 1 and 2. And I want to, I want to read this with you. I want you to hear this, verse, 20, or verse 1 and 2 in chapter 22. It says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. If this was a movie today, this would be uh, the beginning of the movie. And we would be like, okay, what just happened? You're probably rushed in at the last minute because you're getting some popcorn you're like, did I just miss something? Like what occurred? What was in the, the, before the credits, did did I miss the first part of this movie? Is this the part two? Where am I at in this? He just, God says, go take your son and go sacrifice him. Where does this all begin? So we're going to rewind a little bit because Abraham represents something that I think we gloss over so many times is a somebody who was listening for God. From Noah to Abraham. So Noah, God wipes out the earth with the exception of Noah, his family, and two of each animal, right? In an attempt to cleanse the earth and bring back and reconnect what he intended with Adam and Eve is to be the God of these people, for them to be change agents in the world, the world had become so corrupt, He wiped it out, and in that moment, when after he comes back, Noah makes makes an altar right there, and God makes a promise to him. He said, never again will I wipe out the earth with a storm. Never again will I wipe out a group of people with a storm and re-cleanse it. This is the beginning of a relationship, and I need you to uphold your part. So now between Noah and Abraham, we don't see a lot, of movement with God, except for maybe the Tower of Babel. And so there's not a lot. So I think knowingly or unknowingly, unconsciously unconsciously maybe, we just assume that God was on a break for a while, trying to get God, uh, guys to get it right. He just didn't talk to a bunch of people, right? Noah, I give you everything you need, go do it. And then now all of a sudden, Abraham He just calls him out of nowhere, right? It says, Abraham's with his dad, and they move to this area. And then all of a sudden, God shows up one day and says, Abram, I know you're comfortable here with all the things your dad has, all this place here. I need you to pick up and just leave. So unconsciously, I think we almost have come to a place of arrival where God just wasn't talking for some time. How different does that sound than right now? How many people do we hear often, like, well, I just don't hear from God? One of the things I've learned is God's always talking. We're just not in a position to listen. We're not dialed into the channel. We don't have the static out of our life. We hear them enough just to, be, to hear a little bit. But Abraham was in a place, in a posture to listen, to hear. So God wasn't just up in heaven waiting until Abram's time like, Abram, when are you going to be here? And I really thought Noah was going to get it together, but maybe Abram's God we'll see. And just show up all of a sudden. I believe Abram was the first one in a long time who was actually listening for something. What does that word say from Paul? That we should seek God. And if you seek him, you will find him. That promise didn't come in the New Testament. didn't all of a sudden arrive in Acts when Paul's teaching it. It has been across the span of time. Yet man consistently gets it wrong because we begin to seek the wrong thing. So Abraham, in this call to his life, finally gets it, and God shows up and says, Abram, I want you to take your wife, take your family, take your possession and leave behind everything that you have. I want you to go to this land, to this promised land and I want you to just trust me really is what he's saying because I will out of you make you blessed. Bless your name and out of you make a great nation so that you will be a blessing to all nations. Like such a great promise that we grab a hold of and like if he just showed up to us, I hope, that we would leave, but I can only imagine some of us would be like, who are you? I love this voice, this booming voice, but nowadays with uh, CGI, somebody's doing this. Am I on TikTok? But I would like to think if that voice came up, spoke to us, we would, if we were in a seeking posture, we would go. So then he calls him into this, and he takes him, and he takes his his nephew, Lot. Um, Abraham does not have any kids at this time. And really, when you think back to this promise, because we always think about kids, at that point in time, God did not say, I'm giving you kids. He said, I'm giving you purpose. Your purpose is to be a blessing to all nations, to have a great nation. But He didn't say, I'm giving you kids. You ever notice that before? I think because of later in the story, we know what happens along the way. We just assume he was promising kids. He never promised them that, but he gave him a purpose to go fulfill. How many times does God give us a purpose and we begin to plan it out in our mind all of a sudden before we get there? When sometimes he just gives you a location and he wants you to start walking. Trust me. Because Abram... His name, Abram, this is before he was Abraham. Abram, his name meant eternal father. Eternal father. So know that that name is, excuse me, not eternal, exalted father, exalted father. So how does he have a name that doesn't even speak to the kids he has? Like he has been built, created with purpose on his life, but really before he can ever get to a place of what God's actually calling him to, this is a moment that Abram has to begin to live out his name by exalting the Father. He's leaving behind his earthly father and being called into purpose by his heavenly Father. And in that moment of decision, his name comes to light because in that moment he is exalting the Father's plan over his own. So as he begins to walk this out, he goes, and Abraham's very big at building... Altars along the way. If you read this story, I encourage you to go read Genesis. Um, you can get in through about 11, 12. 12 to 22 is really the meat of the story. You, you'll find a jagged pattern with Abram. He is up and down, in and out, but he's still pursuing God, even at his own pace, even under his own ability, sometimes even at the cost of his own mistakes. But he is someone who, along the way, as God talks to him, he has become a big altar builder in a moment uh, when he arrives at Bethel, the place that eventually would be the promised land, the place where um, his grandson um, Jacob would eventually end up right back in the same place with his own altar, wrestling with his own instabilities. Abram had already made an altar there in that moment as a celebration, as a commitment, as a covenant to God in that moment. In other words, in that moment where I got here, where he called me to, I'm going to put this in place as a reminder that God called me. That's the purpose of your altar today. Your altar is not so that you just have a place of misery, shame, and depression. Oh, I remember I went to the altar and I was such a mess. If that's the definitive moment at your altar, then guess what? You may still be a mess. I can remember some messy altar moments, but they're not defined by what I was when I went there. They're defined by what I was when I left there. And Abram, when he makes that altar, he doesn't stop, set up camp. He doesn't just stay there the rest of his life. He continues to move. Why? Because the father's calling him. So as he goes through this, his first question mark in this journey of learning to be a father, even though he doesn't have a kid, he's got somebody else's kid. Man, think about this. Think about your brother and your sister's kids. Whew. Right? You know how they were raised. Oh, my Lord. If your brother or sister sitting next to you, you can't say nothing. But y'all know. Somebody else's kids. What's the best part about somebody else's kids? You can give them back. Well, guess what? Abram couldn't give Lot back. He took Lot with him. And it already shows right off the bat, him and Lot start coming at it a little bit. And finally, Abram says, you know what, Lot? I love you. We're kinfolk. I want you to take whichever direction you want. I'm gonna give you first pick. And Lot says, okay, that looks way better. Very fertile over there, I'm gonna take that. And Abraham, in a father moment, says you can have it. See, we don't talk about these father moments along the way. Abram was learning to be a father before he ever got it spoken officially over him, before he was ever given Isaac. God was pushing characteristics of the father, of his characteristics, into him. He was helping him to submit, to realize that I'm going to give, I'm going to let him do some things, I'm going to cover him, because he never stopped watching out for Lot. Even though Lot got the better land, even though he got the more fertile area, Look through the story. Abram never lost sight of Lot, and he was always there to pick up the pieces, always there to care for him when he messed up. Lot goes that way, ends up in a, in a bad space, gets in some trouble. Abram goes and fights a battle for him, gets out of that, and then he ends up in Sodom and Gomorrah, and everybody knows how that story goes, right? Ugh. place where just evil, people doing whatever they want, Even when the angels come in, they did try to talk the angels into some bad things. Go back and read that story. There's some misconceptions today about the rights and wrongs and all of that. If we understand the heart doesn't change, go back and look at that moment, like what was occurring, what was trying to be talked into. The enemy hadn't changed his ways either. Y'all understood that? He's still doing the things he's always done. Some of them a little more in our face today, but he's still doing it. Read the word for the context it's trying to give you. But Abraham, in a father's heart moment, sees what's going on. God says, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham, in a father's heart moment for Lot and his family, says, God, if you're 50 people, if I can find 50 people in this city, will you not destroy them? And God says, sure. 50 people, I'll do it. And then Abram says, okay, what about 45? What about 40? 35, 30, 25. This is the worst auction ever. It's supposed to be going up. I believe I can find 200. Abram's not really feeling too confident because he knows the temperature of the city and he gets down to 10. God, if I can find 10 people, will you not punish that city? God says, you can find 10. In a moment of compassion, Abraham is crying out because he knows he has a vested interest. He knows that he has it's not his son, but it might as well be because he took him, the burden of his family. He took everything on him, and now he's carrying the burden of that young man and how he needs to help him. But he goes down there, and guess what? Couldn't find 10. Lot, his wife, and his two daughters, and they had husbands, so six. But even Lot's two son-in-laws said, no, this is too good. We're going to stay here. And Lot and his wife and his two daughters, even them, were struggling to get out. But the father, because of Abram and his connection to him, the care and compassion... God sent angels and physically began to grab them by the hands and pull them out of the city. But their passion and desire, as they walked away, said, don't look back, keep moving forward. Lot's wife turned around and turned to a pillar of salt. I can only imagine the heart of Abraham or Abram at that point, at that time, as he hears the story, as he sees from afar it coming in, to hear the story that happened, his heart, cried out for a lot. There was probably a consoling moment. See, Abram was learning to be a father along the way. And it's right after this that we find in the story of Abram where God makes the covenant with him for the first time. The first time was a call. This this is the first covenant. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And for the first time, we begin to hear the heart of a father. We begin to hear a groan from Abram that we haven't heard before. But Abram said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Elazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household Will be my heir? And behold, behold, the word of the Lord came to him: This man shall not be your heir; your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now you fast forward to Romans. And we see Abraham was a man of faith, a man of righteousness. Why? Because he believed God. Now, even in our state of belief, we can do some unbelievable things. Because right then, they look in the mirror, and Abraham's or Abram at this point's a little old. His wife Sarah, a little younger, but still old—ninety and hundred. Sarah's ninety. And they begin to think, okay, God said he leaves, he wakes up from that vision pump, like, I'm going to have kids. And then he goes to the coffee table or the kitchen table in the morning, he gets a cup of coffee, and he looks across at Sarah, and he's like, I don't know, God. I felt really good when I was dreaming that thing, but now all of a sudden it seems a little less practical. So then he begins to share with, with Sarai, And she begins to think and process in her head. And before you know it, she's like, well, I can't give you a child because look at me. I'm on the backside here. I've seen better days. Why don't you take my beautiful handmaiden, Hagar, and have a child through him? Bless you. So Abram takes her, has a child. And in a moment, Hagar gets the kid. She starts looking at Sarai like, what do you think you are? I know you were my boss, but. I'm the one with a kid now. I'm the one giving God's promise, not you. See, we can orchestrate things as man, and before you know it, we become the promise carers. We become the promise givers, not God. And then we think we have some amount of power and authority and control over what God's doing. See, this is the broken part of the story. This is Abram, even though he's counted as righteous, even though he's following God, even though he's developed his father's heart, he's still trying to orchestrate in his own hands based on what he can see instead of really trusting God. So she has Ishmael and we see all this, but this is where God shows up again. This is where Abram finally transitions. It's after a mistake. It's after he did his own thing. It's after he tried to take it all in his own hands and do it. God said, there's a reason I didn't give you this whole plan at first, because you would have tried to orchestrate it. How many of you have ever been in that place? God gives you it, and you try to orchestrate it, and then you end up frustrated, and God's like, I didn't tell you to do that. I told you we were going to do this. But you felt qualified. You felt worthy, like you got it all figured out. Abraham, I know I, was gonna, I told you he was going to be a daddy. And you just had to figure it out, didn't you? You couldn't trust me. You couldn't trust my timing. See, daddies in the room. How many times you had that, kid, that talk with your teenager? I told you we were going to do it. You just couldn't trust my timing, could you? Now look at you. Some of y'all in the room was that teenager, right? This is a transition of the heart of the father too. Forgiveness, first and foremost, because, all right, Abram, you messed it up, but I still love you. I still gave you purpose. I still called you. See, this is father, not dictator. This is father, not angry God. When you understand the characteristics of a father and we're not all good at it, when we learn as we get into the word and we hear what this is, then it draws to us. So when we read this scripture, now we begin to see it through the ear or through the lips of a father, through the perspective of a father, through a filter of a father. Even in that moment of falling short, trying to figure it out, God shows up and says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. I love that statement right at the beginning. Regardless of what you did, I am God Almighty. Abram, if there's one thing you walk away knowing, you better know, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. See, this is what we have to grab a hold of as our covenant the moment we say yes to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We've never prayed that prayer, though, in church, have we? Ooh, imagine that. You want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I, if y'all would just all say this prayer with me. Father, God Almighty, help me to walk before you and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply me greatly. Amen. Ooh. Blameless? Say again? Yeah. Everybody's like, I didn't sign up for that one. I liked the forgive me from the sins, at least the ones I know I did. And I know that you love me and you sent your son to die for me even though I'm a jacked up mess. Mm, I love that. I receive that. And it's a little hot outside, so we're doing outdoor baptisms. Yes, I'm in. Cool water flowing over me. Amen. But he calls Abram in this moment I want you to walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you. In other words, I am God. I can fulfill my part of the covenant. Here's what I need from you to walk with, to release the things, to let some things go. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name is shall be Abraham. In that moment, his name went from exalted father to father of a multitude. In the moment you meet me and connect me to your purpose, in the moment you not only exalt me, but you submit to me. There's a lot of people who exalt him, but cannot submit to him. There's a lot of people that exalt Jesus as Lord of their life and love to say that, but you can't submit to him as Lord of your life. In that moment, things shifted for him. Him and Sarai, or now Sarai is now Sarah, gets pregnant with Isaac, the baby he promised them. And as Isaac begins to grow, now we fast forward to 22. We see the ups and downs of Abram. We see twice in different points in his life where Abram and Sarah, Abraham, Abram and Sarah, Sarai, and then Abraham and Sarah, even though their names changed, we see the same situation around. Evidently, Sarah was a smoke show. She was a good looking woman, even at 90. She had something going on. Because even at 90, when they went into the Pharaoh's palace, like Abram's like, I don't even know who she is. She's like my sister. And Pharaoh takes her in. It's like, yeah. She's beautiful. And then what happens? Plagues. God's like, no, no, no. That's the wife I gave you, Abram, even though you don't feel worthy of her, even though you feel like you're a lowly looking man, that's the wife I gave to you to fulfill purpose. He puts plagues on Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's like, what have you done to me? Take your wife back. You think that happens once you learn your lesson. Nope. Fast forward, after the name change, Abraham supposedly got it on. Now he goes into Abimelech's area, and same thing, I'm just my sister god doesn't send plagues this time he shows up in a dream to abimelech that's his wife same thing take your wife and get out of here but not only in that what did he do blessed him on the way out that's an impactful moment when god shows up to you and you try to kick just take it you almost got me in trouble but here take money too i love you god bless you like that's a whole different connection So out of all of that, now we arrive at 22, verse 1 and 2. After these things, after this story, after these moments, after these ups and downs, after these quizzes along the way, God tested Abraham. See, there's a purpose in the timing of God is you got to get through some quizzes before you can take the test. Abraham's like, I'm ready for a child. And God says, you're not ready for what I'm calling you into. Because the final test is bigger than you can imagine. And if you think you're so old, you can't have a child. When I finally give it to you and ask you what I'm going to ask you for, complete submission to me, you'll hold it from me, and it'll never walk into its full purpose. There's so many times that God wants to give you something because he's called you to do it, but you cherish the thing he's giving you more than the purpose he's called you to do with it. That's why people, that's why you can't get into prosperity in church. Everybody wants money. I'm gonna use it to bless the world. No, you're not, because until you get positioned to a place that you don't need money, he can't give you money, because the moment you get it, guess what? You're gonna use it in wrong places. I don't really need this car, but I can get it now. I don't really need that house, but man, look at that pool. I see so many people struggling with money yet preaching a prosperity gospel. I see so many people who have resigned to just be strugglers of money because they can't see the prosperity that God wants them to have. There is a fine line between where God wants you to be blessed, and it's not just about money. It's about a whole lot of other things. But what he's about to ask Abraham for, is the question he asks us and all the things that he gives us. God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham and said, here I am, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. In this moment, the very promise that God has promised Abraham, the, the, the son that he never thought he would have, the son that he tried to orchestrate, the promise that he was given from day one that's now manifested into this place of actually having a name, someone he's called to. I don't have Lot, who's my, my brother's kid anymore. I got my own son that I've so... T- I don't have Ishmael, who I, t- I tried to orchestrate, and Ishmael was a handful. And man, we just had to send him and his mama packing because he was crazier than even I could imagine. I have Isaac, the one I love, the one from me and Sarah, the promised one of God. And now all of a sudden God says, go sacrifice. But you know what? Abraham trusts God. Why? Because he was ready for the death. He finally figured it out. If God called me, if God gave me purpose, then he won't leave me now. The Bible says he will never leave you or forsake you. See, the Scripture comes to life when you begin to see the stories played out in front of you. It's not just some nice things that were said in the New Testament that don't apply to the Old Testament. This is a group of men and women who walk this thing out. As he's walking up the mountain. He tells his two servants that come with him, you stay here, it's just going to be me and Isaac. They walk the last bit, and Isaac looks at him and says, Dad, I know we're going up here to make a sacrifice and make a, build an altar. We've done this. I've seen you do this so many times. You're so good at it in your life when God's done something for us to make those altars. Yeah, I've always wanted to be a part of this, and now I get to be a part of this. But where, what's the magic here? Do you, you got something waiting up here? Or where's the animal at? And Abraham said, just trust God. It's probably hard for Isaac, right? But what does Isaac really trust in that moment? He may trust God to a point, but he trusts his dad. See, the positioning of Abraham as a father put him in a posture to be trustworthy of his son. To a point that Abraham tied his hands behind his back laid him on that altar and took that knife out. In a moment of recognition, I can only imagine Isaac. We don't see it in Scripture that says he fought, he argued, tried to run. So from what we have, I can only assume there was a complete trust in his dad. complete trust in a daddy who had complete trust in his God took that knife every bit of doubt I can only imagine is in his body like why God why did you bring me out here I'll put it in some other words you may have heard before If it's not your will, let this cup pass for me. Why does it have to be this way? I trust you. You know I do. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here for this test. In his mind, I can only imagine he's saying a prayer under his breath because he doesn't want Isaac to hear him. Because he wants him to be strong and confident. He wants him to trust him. But in his mind... God if this is not it please please but nothing he swings that knife and all of a sudden it stops says the angel of the Lord stopped his hand and in that moment in a nearby bush a ram appeared imagine the joy the overflowing that happened in Abraham in that moment But it was in that moment that God became something new to Abraham. As he built that altar back up and he took that ram and he slew it, slain it, slayed it, something. Arkansas Education, excuse me. But it was in that moment of altar, made this declaration. We sing this all the time. get it out because the purpose of your altar is not to remind you of what God's done it's to reveal who he is in that moment as he prepared that offering with that lamb And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. The Lord will provide is also said in this way Jehovah Jireh. And we sing that song, don't we? beloved Morgan sings that song about the names of God but we don't understand where it came from in that moment the one thing that fathers would struggle till the end of time is being provided figuring out covering our kids working our Fingers to the bone for our homes. Fathers, I'm here to tell you today. You have access to an altar. You have access to a mountain. You have access to a test that has been passed. A place. That has a name. The Lord will provide. I encounter so many men, businessmen, husbands, fathers, that provider is the heaviest title they wear. It's what drives their schedule. It's not the people they provide for. It's the title of provide. It becomes your assigned value, all that you do it for. Look at me, I'm a provider. I've shared my story many times, but I can remember my test when I stood on the pier next to that big ship my last day in the Navy when I had made the decision to step down to the pastoral position we were in, when I was laying all titles aside, because in that moment, I realized it's not about my titles, it's about my call. My biggest fear was how am I going to provide? You know what? From that day to this day, I've learned a lot of things. But my major one is, God, if you gave it to me, I'm willing to give it all back to you. I'm willing to give everything you give me away to somebody else. If you tell me to do it, I trust you. Because I was never the provider. The Navy was never my provider. That church was never my provider. The people who gave tithes and offering was never my provider. They were just a provision. What really happened that day was God said, Abraham, I know it feels like you've done this, but you're not the provider. Can I trust you with the provision? I want to challenge you in your altar moments, whether they be your first time, your hundredth time, in your home, up here. That your desire, every time you have a space where you're releasing something to God, whether it be a prayer whether it be a sin, whether it be a moment of reflection, whatever it is, in a moment where you have an altar, a moment where you're celebrating something in your life, whatever your altar moment is, I want to challenge you. Does that altar moment define what got you there or reveal who's walking away with? Abraham could have ran to that place even after sacrificing that ram and said, come on, Isaac, let's go back to it. But he took a moment to realize the same God that called me from my daddy's place, the same God that walked through me and through a season without my own kids, of caring for my, own, my, my brother's kids, the same God that called me Even in my mistakes of trying to orchestrate myself that finally gave me the promise, the same God that from here to here has not changed. If he asked it, then he has to have purpose. In that moment, he finally understood that God Father, we thank you today that you continue to walk with us, lead us, guide us. We're thankful that we can lean on you as provider today. Not always for the things we want or in the level or abundance that we want, but know if we are walking in your calling, we are walking in your journey, your path, we're walking in the steps that you laid out for us, that you will not leave us nor forsake. Father, I pray that our faith would roll into that connection, that desire, that as we make you Lord of our life, that as we truly listen to your calling, to your words, there is a faith and a knowledge of knowing who you are. God, if we've tried to do it on our own ability, if we've walked our own path and we continue to fall short, I pray that we would release the mindset that you did that to us. And embrace the invitation that you're still called. Father, I pray over the hearts of people today. If anyone's veered off the path, if anyone's never never really sold out, never really said, I will follow you. Maybe this is the moment. This is the moment. Father, we thank you today that you're still called. Thank you that you are consistent when we are not. We thank you that the calling is not for us, but those we've been called to. That we have been invited to the family of April That you change our lives, you change our hearts, you change our ways so that we can let somebody know about our debt. Let our ways, our words direct people to you and not Help them see the image they've been created. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.